0: Dear loving Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we recognize that in this world that we live in, there are many pains and troubles and worries which overcome us, which threaten to swamp our faith and to cast doubt upon you. And today as we come to your word, we just pray that we will have a right understanding that truly your word will speak to us so that we may see this world correctly and understand you afresh so that we may continue to trust upon you for everything. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, now there was a public forum uh, between an atheist and a Christian uh, writer many years ago. And uh, during the course of this debate, uh, they came to the topic of suffering. Suffering. And what had happened was, uh, the atheist philosopher insisted that actually... The question of suffering, the whole question of suffering was actually a, a, a silly question, it was a stupid question, for which there was no answer. And the reason why he said this was because uh, atheism believes, or the world believes in many ways, that everything that happens in this world is just random. It's just It just happens accidentally, it happens by chance. So this uh, atheist philosopher went on to say that well, by the very same token, uh, everything that happens to you, suffering, evil, death, it just happens because of chance. Uh, it's a random event. It's accidental. In the words of philosophy, some people get hurt and some people just get lucky. Right? So, there's, there's no, there's, for the atheist, there is no answer for the problem of suffering. The guy said, there's no point asking about suffering because whatever happens in this world happens by chance. It's an accident. It is just a random thing. But what happened was, a few months after this debate, uh, this philosopher then went on to meet this Christian writer again. And he confessed to uh, the Christian writer that actually some months after the debate, his daughter, uh, the, the, the philosopher, uh, this atheist philosopher's daughter, had been raped. And subsequently to that, actually had been murdered. And uh, the atheist uh, philosopher said, you know, he realized at that point in time how wrong he was during the lecture, because when... Suffering really hits home to us. When we suffer, not as an intellectual question, but when we suffer, we will always ask why, isn't it? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my family? Uh, why has this happened at all? And I think that that's a very true thing, isn't it? Whenever we experience suffering, when we feel suffering close to our heart, we will always go ask God, why is this happening? Why have you let this happen to me? And it's no different, I remember attending and comforting the parents of a, of a funeral uh, whose teenage daughter had died. And their question was, why has God let this happen? Uh, just a few weeks ago, in my son's school, in, uh, 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 he, there's a young athlete and he was uh, on the road and a car knocked him down and he's in a coma. And again, people are asking, well, why, is this? why has God let this happen? You see, when we read the newspaper and we read about tsunami or you know, earthquake in Haiti, earthquake in Chile, Intellectually, we think, why does God allow suffering? But at the end of the day, we can walk away and think, okay, well, that's, not this, that's just life. But when suffering really hits us home to people we care about who are close to us, we really want to know why this happens. So in Luke chapter 13, as we have read here, you need your Bibles. Um, if you don't have a Bible, it's not too late to get one. You can still put it in your hands. And uh, Richmond is ready to run out here. If you need a Bible, put it your hands. Okay, now turn with me to Luke chapter 13, because in Luke chapter 13, Jesus addresses this whole problem of suffering and evil in the world. Now what had happened in uh, verse 1 is this, right? In verse 1 of chapter thirteen, he says, Now there was some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And uh, what had happened was uh, in those days in Jerusalem uh, and in Israel as a whole, things were very politically... um, Combustible. It, was, it, was a, it was a time of political instability. Passions were running high. There was tension on the streets. It's a bit like you, you look at the newspaper in Bangkok today. right? It's like, you know, there's a lot of hot, uh, hot-headed uh, passion going on and there's demonstrations and things like that. And that was happening all the time in Israel during Jesus' time. There were zealots, the demonstrations, things like that. And what had happened was one morning they'd woken up, probably the time that Jesus was there, and instead of reading the Straits Times, they were probably reading the Jerusalem Times or whatever. And the title said... Massacre at the temple in Jerusalem. There was a massacre at the temple in Jerusalem. And what had happened was, uh, you know, there were people coming to the temple to worship God, bringing their sacrifices to the temple. And uh, Pilate had mistaken them for demonstrators or agitators or people who were rebels. And uh, the police had lost control and they killed these innocent people. And that's why it says that in verse 1, these people, the Galileans, their blood had been mixed with their sacrifices. They had come with their chickens and their goats and their doves and their pigeons, wanting to sacrifice them in the temple. But what had happened? They had been killed instead. So the people asked Jesus, Jesus, did you read the paper this morning? What do you make of this? How do you understand this senseless, meaningless death, meaningless suffering? And what does Jesus say in verse 2 to verse 5? Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no. Unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now the first thing I want to point out that Jesus says is that suffering... And evil in the world does not happen. Notice what Jesus said. It does not happen because people are more sinful. Some religions feel that, okay, if you're suffering, it's because somehow you've done something wrong in your life, or maybe you've done something wrong in your previous life, or somehow some part member of your family has done something wrong, and therefore there is divine retribution. There is a one-for-one. There is a balancing out of uh, a balancing system rights and wrongs. Okay, some religions believe that. They believe that your suffering now is because you've done something in the past or in the present to deserve that suffering. But notice Jesus says that is not true. He says, I tell you, no. In fact, in verse two, 3 and verse 5, he says that twice, isn't it? He says that twice because he really wants to let people know that this is not true. It is not true that suffering comes about because you've done something wrong, or your previous generation has done something wrong, or somehow your family has done something wrong. Uh, There may be occasions where that happens. You know, maybe if you go to Geylang a lot, yes, maybe you may catch some form of disease or some form of AIDS. But many times in terms of meaningless suffering, innocent suffering, uh, evil coming upon people, it's not because of what they have done. And Jesus uh, points out to uh, an example in verse four, right? He says, "Look, maybe there's a suspicion that these people who were killed on the way to the temple, maybe, maybe they were demonstrators. Maybe they had some hidden agenda to overthrow Pilate, and so deserved their death." But Jesus, look at what he says in verse four. He says, "Look at those 18. 18 people died when a tower fell on them. Okay, typical construction accident. All right." It's just like, you know, when you read the newspaper today, the crane falls over and then lands on the car and the people die. And Jesus says, were those people sinful? Did they deserve to die? Was there something wrong that they did? And Jesus says, no. In fact, verse 3 and verse 5, he repeats the same things, Right? I tell you no, I tell you no. Because it's a great temptation for us to want to somehow say that it's somehow their fault, isn't it? You know, somehow they've done something to deserve this. But Jesus says, no, they did not deserve to suffer this way. It's like my, uh, my children, right? I always have to tell them, make sure you do your homework before you do your, you know, rest and play your games or whatever, right? Because we have a great temptation to keep forgetting that suffering doesn't always have to have a cause. And Jesus says, look, this is not the right way to understand innocent suffering, So, what is the right way to understand suffering and evil in this world? Well, he says a very surprising thing. He says, unless you repent, you too will all perish. Verse 3. Verse 5, But unless you repent, you too will all perish. What a strange thing to say. They want an answer to suffering in the world. And Jesus says, he doesn't really give them an answer at all. He says, look, this is a warning to you. This is a warning to you that you should repent. He says that suffering and evil in the world should not elicit in us questions like, why God, why, you, why is all this stuff happening? There's an earthquake in Haiti. Why are you doing this? But rather he's saying, when we read about an earthquake in Haiti or Chile, God is sending a megaphone to us. It's like a big advertising hoarding to us. Repent and turn back to Him. Now, the word repent here is up here on the slide. Okay, repent is the Greek word metanoia. Meta means change. You know, metamorphosis means change. Noia means brain. It means it's change of brain, change of alignment, change of the way that you look at life. And what happens is, Jesus is saying every time there is suffering in the world, it is a signal to us that we need to change our mental and our whole life focus back to God. Now, what a strange thing to say. Why is it suffering is a sign and a signal to change back our life to God? Well, it is because when you look right at the very beginning of the Bible, it talks about how in the beginning, there was no suffering. In the beginning, there was no death. In the beginning, there was no evil. You see, if you ever get a chance, you should look back at the very beginning of the Bible, which talks about how God made the world. And we're not talking, I'm not here to discuss evolution versus creation, right? But the one thing that you notice when you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, is that whenever God made the world, He always said, it is good. It was good. He made the animals, it was good. He he separated the sea from the land, it was good. And if you look up here in Genesis chapter 1, Look at what it says here. He said, God made man. He made, you know, he, he says that God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him, male and female, He created them and God blessed them. He gave them the whole world. Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. He said, I give you all these plants to eat, all the bees, and everything that moves. All right? I give the food. But what did He say at the very end of the creation process? It was very good. It was very good. And there's a pattern here, you see. It was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was very good. But what happened in Genesis um, chapter 1 is that when God made the world, there was perfect harmony, right? There was perfect harmony. There was social harmony where mankind got to know one another really well, right? And there was spiritual harmony where God and man had a perfect relationship. But not only that, that was that so, but there was environmental harmony, right? Because the whole world was actually made for mankind. There was, you know, everything was made so that everything was in harmony with one another. There was no death, there was no sickness, there was no earthquake, okay? There were no weeds, there were no dengue and malaria mosquitoes. Right? Everything was made perfect for man. It was good. It was very good. But by Genesis chapter 3, uh, we're we're just going to speed through this, right? Man rebels against God. He says, God, we love the world, but we just don't really love you, right? We want to rule ourselves. We want to have the world for ourselves. And the social harmony was destroyed. Man started destroying man. The spiritual harmony was destroyed. The vertical relationship between man and God was destroyed. The environmental harmony was destroyed. The natural world rebelled against mankind. So again, Genesis chapter 3, which is up here. Look what it says. It says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food, until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For thus you are, and to dust you will return. You notice how different it is from Genesis chapter 1? Genesis chapter 1, the, the, all this stuff will be provided for you, but now, because of your rebellion, curse is the ground. You will return to death. And it gets worse, isn't it? Next slide. Uh, by Genesis chapter 4, we have murder. Cain kills Abel. By Genesis chapter 6, every inclination of man's thoughts have become only evil all the time. Now, you can't get worse than that, right? All the thoughts of your, of your heart, all the time, are only evil. And by Genesis chapter 19, we have Sodom and Gomorrah, where uh, there's sexual immorality as well. And that's why, every time we see evil and suffering in the world, it is actually God's SMS to us, or Twitter to us, to say, look, repent, repent. Because the world that we live in today with evil and suffering is not the world that God made for us. When we see evil and suffering and death in this world, it is because we, as humanity, have chosen to live life without God. And God has said, look, you made your own bed, now you sleep in it. You bear the consequences of your decision. It is the world of your own making. And I think we agree with that, isn't it? When we look at the world today, how much of suffering comes because of our own sinfulness, our own, our own evil? You see, think of it, uh, Jesus' example was a perfect one, Pilate. Those people who died on the way to going to the temple, they died because of the sin and evil of a dictator. That's the only reason they died, that's the only reason they suffered. In the world today, when you suffer, why do you suffer? Let me ask you, did you eat breakfast this morning? Anybody didn't eat breakfast this morning? Okay, but you you, you have enough money to eat breakfast. You just chose not to because you're... Some people are dieting, right? Yeah, okay. Um, You ate breakfast this morning, right? Any of you, uh, all of you slept under a bed, I presume, yesterday? On a bed, under a roof, right? Anybody slept outdoors? No, right? We all slept indoors, right? Okay? Uh, You all had a fan, maybe aircon, right? So you had enough food... You had enough sleep, unless you're watching the soccer or something. But still, you mean, you had enough. If you chose to sleep, and uh, you 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 had aircon or a fan. So physically, did you suffer? No, you didn't suffer. All isn't it? But why do many of us suffer? What do you think about? What worries you? Well, maybe it's because your you and your wife are fighting, or you and your family members are fighting. Or Maybe it's people at your office. You and your people in your office don't get along with one another. Or maybe it's, you know, you and your students. Or your students don't like your teacher. Right? Or maybe it's because of you and your classmates and you're getting bullied or you're bullying someone else. Or maybe, you know, it's because that person was really rude to you on the way here when you're driving to church. See, so much of our suffering is not because of natural consequences, but because of, of human consequences. So I was reading this book, right? I mean, i have show you this book before. Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers, okay? And he was saying that actually, the cause of most mental problems and, and suffering in this world, worries that we have, do not come about because of natural consequences, but because of other people. Because we are social animals. We worry about our social you know, harmony. People don't like us. We don't like them. They hurt us. We hurt, we hurt them back. So when you look at the world, isn't that a call for us to go back to God and go back to the way things were, where there is social harmony and spiritual harmony? But then you might also say, well, what about things like cancer? What about the earthquake? What about the tsunami? Right? Uh, why does God allow that sort of suffering? Well, the Bible's answer, as we saw in Genesis chapter 3, was that the moment we turn our backs on God, the whole of the created order was to its very fabric decaying and cursed. In the New Testament, it says the very same thing in Romans chapter 8. Mm. Next slide. You see that? For creation, the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. You see, you notice that? It says that creation itself, how is creation, the, the created order, described? Subjected to frustration. It's subjected to frailty and futility. That means the world that we live in is, is a frustrating place. It's like you plan your plan. Right? I, I mean, I, I'll tell you the truth. I went to buy some plants A few months ago, and I planted it, and now out of the three, uh, the five plants I got, only two are growing well, and the other three are like, you know, stunted. Okay, why is that? Because the world is subject to frustration. You know, it doesn't, the 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 natural world doesn't operate for us anymore. It says there is the bondage of decay. It's groaning in frustration. So what it says here is that when we see suffering in this world earthquakes, cancer people being, you know, crime, murder, genocide, war it is actually a wake up call to us to tell us that we need to turn back to God see, the, the, the atheists will say suffering is natural, it's a natural part of this world you know, it's part of the evolutionary cycle it's part of the randomness of life but what God actually says is suffering is unnatural. Suffering is abnormal. Suffering is not the natural state of this world because when God made this world, it was good. It was good. It was good. It was very good. But today, when you look at the newspaper, when you look at your own life, it is bad. It is bad. It is bad. It is very bad. So I remember watching this movie. Um, you probably some it's older than some some of you, so you probably won't watch it. It's it's called Grand Canyon, right, and uh, it was made in 1991, right, so obviously some of you probably, even if you watched it, you probably forgot it already by now, right. Anyway, in this movie, after a baseball game, uh, it's set in uh, America, this guy is driving home from a baseball game, and his car breaks down, but it happens to break down in a bad part of the city. So what happens, the guy breaks down, he calls the AA, right, I mean that's what you normally do, you car breaks down, you call the AA. But, as you know, usually even in Singapore when you call the AA, what do they say? Can you wait an hour, right? Or something like that, hour and a half. So there he is waiting with his broken down car. But then a gang of youths, about 10 or 15 of them, surround the car and they want to rob him and they want to beat him up, maybe even kill him. Just happens, the tow truck driver comes along and the tow truck driver you know, he gets his baseball bat and whatever, and he pulls aside the leader of this gang, and he says to him, it's not right what you're doing, it's not right. It is not right that a man cannot sit by the roadside in his broken down car, and not be scared of being robbed. And it's not right that a tow truck driver like me cannot come and do his job. And that's very profound, isn't it? Because this movie actually recognizes that when there is sin and evil and suffering in this world, somehow there is something not right in this world. And God agrees that it is not right. It is not right because we have made it not right. Because we have brought sin and rebellion into this world. Now Jesus goes on in verse 6. He tells this interesting parable. right, And uh, he tells about a man with a fig tree who plants in the vineyard and he goes to look for fruit on it. But he doesn't find any fruit on it. Uh, so he says to the vineyard uh, caretaker, "For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, but I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil?" Sir, the man replied, "Leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down." Now, it's a very simple parable, and uh, you sort of think, "Well, what's so uh, what's so great about this parable, right? It's just about." A man who plants a, a tree, a fig tree. And you know, he's been looking at it for three years, putting fertilizer, spending money on water, and, but there's no fruit on this tree. And Jesus is sort of saying, well, how does this link to what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying that the fruit here is the fruit of repentance. right? And he's sort of warning people, look, you are this tree, we are this tree. He's looking to us for the fruit of repentance. And if there is no repentance, basically he says that the tree will be cut down. Now, the interesting thing is, the time, the numbers that Jesus uses, is, is I don't think it's just something that he plucks out of the air, right? It's not random numbers that Jesus uses for fun, but he says that he's been waiting for fruit for three years. But there's only one year left before the tree will be cut down. There's, there's very little time, isn't it? So, what Jesus is actually saying is He allows suffering in this world because He wants people to repent. But there isn't much time to repent because the time of repentance is coming to an end. You see, there's a, this great intellectual thing that you see in many books about suffering. If you look up here, this is, you need to look at it carefully. It's very profound, right? But this is what many people use to argue against the existence of God. Okay? So, you need to pay attention, okay? Now, first assumption is God is all-powerful. Right? God is all-powerful. Second assumption is God is all-loving. Or He's loving. But the reality is that if there is evil and suffering in the world then how can God be all-powerful and all-loving? Isn't it? Because if God is all-powerful then He's not loving because He allows people to suffer. But some other people say no, God is loving but He's not all-powerful. Have you heard that before? There was a very famous book which came out uh, a while ago written by a Jewish rabbi which says when good people suffer why do good people suffer? Bad things. Have you heard that before? I've got, actually I used to have that book but so I don't have it. I can't find it anymore. Someone borrowed it, right? But that's what people say, isn't it? If God is all-powerful God is all-loving how can they be suffering? But then actually what Jesus is saying here is He's saying God is all-powerful but He lovingly allows suffering because he wants to give you and me time to repent. God can solve the problem of suffering. God will solve the problem of suffering and evil. But we need to repent before that. Because that's what this parable is about, isn't it? The fig tree is there, three years past, he's waiting for fruit of repentance, but there's only one year left, if not he'll cut the tree down. See, suffering for us should not make us bitter against God. Suffering should not make us angry with God. But actually, it should wake us up and say, look, this is not the way the world should be. This is not right. This is wrong. And it's only because we've turned against God and we need to turn back to God. See, for us as Christians, whenever we see suffering in the world, we recognize that the solution doesn't lie with us. It only lies with God. See, we can't solve the problem of suffering. Can you solve the problem of suffering? We can't. We can have more education we can have better medicine. You can even have better social system, more, more laws. But you will not solve the problem of suffering. You could be a uh, really rich celebrity. You could be Michael Jackson. But you will still suffer, right? You will still die. You could be uh, Tiger Woods. You will still also experience suffering. See, the reality is, all of us suffer because we are part of this fallen world. The Bible says that we need to repent and in order to repent we have great confidence that Jesus will solve the problem of suffering in there. See look at what it says here in 1 Peter chapter 1. Sorry, yep, up here. Look at what it says here. Uh, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power unto the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now, we know for a fact that this letter... Written by Peter was written to people who were suffering. They were suffering great deprivations which you and I can only dream about persecution, death, loss of jobs, loss of homes, no food. Right? That that is great suffering that I think we have never been through. But notice what the Apostle Peter says. He says that they should not back off. They should not abandon their hope in God. But what should they do? They should look back and they should look forward. See, look at that. They should look back, the green. They should look forward, the yellow. What should they look back to? They should look back at the cross, isn't it? Look back at the cross and see what God has done through the cross and look forward into the future. And what has God done in the past that would give them confidence for the future? Well, it says there, That they have Jesus Christ, the resurrection from the dead. You see, God raising Jesus from the dead. If you read the Bible many, many, many times, it is used as evidence for God's power to bring in heaven. To bring in eternal life. Because when God takes away the curse of death, He's bringing in eternal life in heaven. If you look at other parts of the Bible, which is here, just quickly, um, next slide, you'll see Jesus uh, God. Sorry, the Bible always uses the power of God in raising Jesus from the dead to give us confidence that we can have heaven and eternal life. Look at what it says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. By His power, God, the, God raised the Lord, the Lord Jesus from the dead and He will raise us also. Look what it says there in uh, Ephesians chapter 1. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance of 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 the saints and His incomparable great power for us who believe. And what is this power? That power is like the working of His mighty strength which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the the one to come. Philippians chapter 3, I want to know Christ, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing the sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. See, how do you know that God has the power to overturn evil? How do you know he has the power to overcome suffering? How do you know that he has the power to overcome death? Because he raised Jesus from the dead. And once you have confidence, once you can look back at the cross, okay, I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, then you can have confidence to look forward to the future, isn't it? Because the next slide, okay, coming back here it says, because we can look back at confidence, we know that we have an inheritance. A heavenly inheritance which will never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for us. See, what is heaven? You think of it, what is heaven? Is heaven, people floating on clouds, right? Playing harps, right? I, I don't know what else they do in the clouds, right? Is that what they do? Is that what heaven is like? No, it's not Heaven is the restoration of earth back to its, to its state in the beginning. That's why Jesus was resurrected physically. Jesus was not resurrected as a spirit or a ghost. Jesus was resurrected physically. So the answer, the next slide, the answer to suffering this world, oh, no more. Any more? No more slides, are you sure? Okay, I have to give you the other thumb drive. But if you think about it, right, God made the world in the beginning, it was perfect, then we destroyed it. But through the resurrection of Jesus, when God comes again, He will restore everything back to the way it was in the beginning. We will not be in the clouds, playing harps. We will be living back in a beautiful world where there is no death, no suffering, and no evil. So ultimately, when you look at suffering, when you look at evil, when you look at death in this world, do you become bitter at God? Do you become angry with God? Do you somehow back off further away from God? Well, actually Jesus says that's the complete opposite reaction, isn't it? When you see evil, when you experience suffering, when you see death, you actually draw closer to God because you recognize that this world is not the answer. But the answer can come, only come, when God comes again with Jesus Christ and resurrects us all. Now, conclusion, I think that the worst suffering that perhaps that we uh, experience today in Singapore is maybe having cancer, isn't it? Uh, I think cancer is one of the things that you know we all fear and people really suffer. Our family members suffer. Many people catch it. Uh, some people here may even uh, be recovering from cancer or even struggling with cancer. And when you go through cancer, there is a great question, you know, should we doubt God? Why is God doing this to me? Why? Why... why? I have so many plans in my life. Why did I get cancer? Now, I think that as we come back to God's Word, we must see that when we are sick, when we are suffering, the answer is not to push God away, but to draw closer to God and to look forward to heaven. And we know it's definitely coming because Jesus definitely resurrected from the dead. Now, my my father-in-law died of cancer a few years ago. My mother-in-law died of cancer a few years ago. My dad recovered from cancer, and my mom also died from cancer. And now, when my mom was dying of cancer, she she um she was always looking at this hymn. We've never sung this hymn at our church before, and I've never sung this hymn before until her funeral. But apparently, she used to sing it when she was as a as a school child uh, when she was in church. But this whole hymn is about looking forward to heaven, and this is what it says. The title of the uh, hymn is "I Hear Thy Welcome Voice," right? I hear thy welcome voice that calls me Lord to thee for cleansing in the precious blood that flowed on Calvary. I'm coming Lord, coming now to thee. Wash me, cleanse me in the blood that flowed on Calvary. See, where do you get hope in the midst of suffering and impending death? You look to what God has done in the past on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And that gives you confidence that Jesus will come again with God And we'll solve the problem once and for all of death, suffering, and evil. Okay, Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we know that the pain of innocent suffering, of evil in this world, can often have us scratching our heads and perplexed and doubtful. But we pray that your word to us from your scriptures today, will be a welcome, a welcome instruction, something that really refreshes us to see that suffering in this world and death often come not because of our own sins, but because we live in a fallen world. That uh, the difficulties that we have because of a breakdown in social harmony, because of crime, because of the sins of people, including ourselves, they all come because we've rejected you. Help us to see as well that uh, in the world that we live in, it is groaning with frustration and its bondage to decay. And that truly, as we live in this world, we will suffer many things because that is the nature of the fallen world. Help us to see the truth of the resurrection of Jesus and help us to see that as Jesus has resurrected, so He will come again and through Him you will restore all things back to its original splendor, that everything will be very good once again. Help us, therefore, to see that we need to repent, to turn back to You, to trust in Jesus, so that, indeed, we can look forward with great confidence to our heavenly inheritance. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.